I yeah. when I get when I get up on it and I start talking in the mic, I keep my I get my chin up on it almost. Uh, the goal trying to kind of keep it like on your chin basically. Or... And then when I drink, obviously keep it real close. Well, make sure you pour the liquid inside the microphone. <laughs> Good for ambiance. I'm gonna move in a little bit closer so I can better make eye contact with Oz. The guest we have today, we've got Andrew Hunefeld. Um, in the interest of you call oldest, me Andy. I don't go by Andrew in any circles, literally. We've got Andrew John Hunefeld <laughs> here. Um, the only people that address him in that regard are when he's at the courthouse. <laughs> Lawyers only. So if I want another drink in the middle, just of this pour thing, it. You need to stand it. up and pour your hooch. Yeah. Trip, trip, trip. <laughs> All right, hold on. <laughs> everybody good? Everybody good? All right. I'm going to turn my phone off. How the f*** do you even turn this off? The iPhone X? Yeah. I don't know, man. Here we go. From the ElToro.com studios, this is the El Toro Podcast, brought to you by ElToro.com, where we target people, not pixels. Welcome, welcome to the ninth episode of the El Toro Podcast. My name is Kramer Caswell, sitting with David Stadler and DJ Oz. Yes, sir. Today we're joined by one of the best bourbon tasters in the whole city of Louisville, Andy Hunefeld. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. This is our crowd of people just I wasn't applauding. expecting such a large studio audience here. Oh, yeah. Man, yeah. At least 75 out. people. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> 75 sound like Not going to lie, kind of intimidating. We yeah. pay them all, too. Yeah, <laughs> man. That's great. Yeah. Bur- bourbon taster, is that like a... A fancy word for um, yeah. First off, man, you like the hooch. Let's I, talk yeah. about. Let's, I'm a professional food eater. Let's talk about what Andy <laughs> does because sure. most people well, don't know. Well, I mean, let's. Andy and I. I've known Andy here for well over 16 years now. We met each other when we both moved into Louisville. Uh, Best friends. friends, roommates, all that kind of jive. Um, and now we're entering into our adult years. I mean, I'm, I haven't peaked yet. I'm far from peaking. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably gonna peak in like 20 years, something <laughs> yeah, like that. Maybe oh, even man. farther out. But you know, I got I got miles left on this ride. Same here. We're drinking right now. We're sampling bourbon. Let's talk about the booze. Andy brought us something pretty special today, and we can we can talk about who you are in a minute. But got a very shiny looking bottle too. So coming in coming into the El Toro office as a bourbon guy, it's kind of intimidating because you guys have <laughs> basically every bourbon that anybody can think of. So before I came, I was looking at my shelf and decided that this is probably the one thing that I have that you all don't have on hand already, and it's a Old Crow chess piece decanter. Uh, bottled in 1969, it's a 10-year bourbon, which means it was distilled in 1959. So it comes from a bygone era. This is uh, part of a – Old Crow literally put out an entire chess set. They have uh, pawns, cool rooks, kings – both white and black, so people back in the day would collect all of the pieces to this chess set, and once you had them all, you could uh, write in and order the the mat. So you could actually, <laughs> if you wanted to, play chess with these uh, bottles of booze. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> that's incredible. Have you heard of anybody that actually has the complete set? So, yeah, I mean, if uh, I was industrious several years ago, there was a few of them that were for sale online, a full set for like 1500 bucks. Shut up. Steal of a deal. Yeah. That's and, actually not as bad as I thought it was going to well, be. Well, that was a few years ago. Uh, I mean, yeah, if you true. wanted to buy a whole set today, it would probably be three or four times that, if not more. I would say it's got to be more than that. I mean, you see stuff like this going off in the aftermarket in excess of like $1,000 most of the time. Yeah, I'll tweet out a picture because this thing is this thing's unreal. It's, it's really cool looking. That's the first thing I want to do if I get tanked on bourbon. Where's <laughs> the chest set? Where's the giant chest set, I know you too. got it. Man, and, and last week we thought, we thought JK was going to be sipping on some nice stuff. 
Eat it, JK. JK. <laughs> we've, got, we've got better friends now. They bring us booze. Not what, really. JK's what? coming back later. So, JK uh, is coming back in November. JK. Yeah, we love yeah. JK. What What year did you say this was? So it was bottled in 1969 is when the set came out. And there's a, a guy named Fred Minnick who is a, a very respected uh, bourbon taster. He's been in the game for a really long time. And he has said on multiple occasions that this is the best bourbon that's ever touched his lips. Wow. So it's it's fairly highly sought after. It's not as expensive as you would think it would be on the secondary market, but I think it's something that could continue to gain value. It's yeah. really cool. And, and it's delicious. worthy right now. Well, cheers, guys. Let's cheers. try this out. Woo-hoo. So one cool thing about bourbon that was distilled back before 1962, that's kind of a magic year, is that... Oh that year, God. they changed the law. Um, bourbon, the, the maximum entry proof into the barrel used to be 110 proof. Mm-hmm. In 1962, they changed it to 125, where it is right now. And why that's important is for a couple of reasons. Distilleries want to pack as much alcohol into the barrel as possible. So one barrel is going to stretch out longer and produce more bottles once they're watered down to proof. Um, but the lower barrel entry proof, the there's less water, mm-hmm. I guess, or more water, I should say, in there, in in the barrel, and the good sugars, the good flavors that are in that barrel are more soluble in water than they are in alcohol. Oh. So the thought is that the lower the barrel entry proof, perhaps the better the product that comes out on the other end. And some of the newer micro distilleries are starting to experiment with lower barrel entry proofs. Peerless here in town has a, I think they put it in at 105. Mm. Um, Michter's is another one that uses a very low barrel entry proof. So it's something that uh, kind of harkens back to the bourbons of yore, so to speak. Nice. Um, but uh, no, it's cool. And that's why that a lot really of these v- vintage bourbons are pretty highly sought after. Yeah, this this is excellent. Interesting. So let me give you guys a little bit more detail as to who Andy is, and then he can come to us after we've had a couple of sips of this, let it sit around on our palate for a little while. He can give us some tasting notes as a true professional would. <laughs> <laughs> on the spot. Love it. Um, so... Andy's a classically trained, uh, Andy's actually been classically trained in finance. Um, by day, he's an energy market analyst advising his clients in making informed decisions relating to their energy purchasing strategies. Andy's a subject matter expert in energy markets and has shared some of his insights at seminars and conferences across the nation. In his free time, Andy's a connoisseur of fine spirits, and he's quite a mixologist, if I do say so myself. Um, he is an incredible, he has an incredible selection of rare bourbons at his house, uh, incredible selection of rye, as this bottle of bourbon that he yeah. brought to our office Seriously. today would indicate. Um, so, Andy's also spun his love of bourbon into the burgeoning bourbon tourism industry with Sour Mash Tours. They're offering an expansive and interactive bourbon tasting experience you can't find anywhere else on the bourbon trail. Sour Mash Tours guides, you know, bourbon tastings through Louisville's most vibrant neighborhoods at some of the city's best bars and restaurants. Now, I've, I've actually been Have you? on these tours, or I've been on one of these tours, um, and I've talked to you guys about formatting and all that kind of stuff um, in the past, and it's phenomenal. It exposed me. One, you run the gamut of different bourbons. One thing that I really like that you guys do is you take us through you know, an evolution of bourbon. It doesn't have to be, you know, a 20-year-old bourbon or a 15-year-old bourbon or something that's been sitting in oak for a decade plus. You walk us through all of these flavor profiles mm-hmm. at different locations around town. And it's 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 bottles that, you know, like, um, what is it, Colonel um, uh, Granddad or Old Granddad or something yeah, like that. I think you had one of those at Taj, mm-hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken, here here recently. And it's not something that I select off the shelf, but I mix cocktails with that now. 
I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was something that I hadn't really drank a lot of in the past, and it's something that's uber useful in my repertoire of liquors that I have at home. So I really like that experience. But uh, why don't you share some of the tasting notes that you experience or that you 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 taste with this bottle of Old Crow? Yeah, because we just kind of taste stuff, and then I say it's excellent. He says it tastes caramely, so let's actually hear from Old Sometimes real. I say it tastes <laughs> like vanilla. So you guys are building me up right now, and you introduced <laughs> me as an expert taster. I don't consider myself an expert taster. I, I think I know a lot about bourbon, but the palate I don't think is anything that you can you can develop it over time, but mm-hmm. it's it's something that's almost inherent. And I'm getting better at tasting bourbon. I can tell the difference between various brands, but I'm not somebody that's going to taste it and start rattling off a bunch of uh, very detailed tasting notes. Yeah, yeah. One thing that we always say on our tours is that uh, taste is absolutely subjective, and if I if I taste something, it doesn't mean that you're going to taste the same thing. Mm-hmm. With this, I do get a lot of uh, the heavy caramel. I actually get a lot of fruit up in the nose, uh, and not just standard fruit, almost like candied fruit, like extremely sweet. Um, and then the palate, it carries through with the same thing. And, and this is an older product. It was sitting in that decanter for probably too long, so it, it has a little bit of that flavor in it, I yeah, think. Yeah. But, yeah, taste is subjective, and it's also suggestive. Um, so if I tell you that I taste uh, candied fruit, then you're going to be looking for that and you're probably going to pick out that note. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we lead people on tours and as Stadler said, we kind of take bottles that a lot of times people see on the shelves and think they might be familiar with and we put them in a different context. So we'll, we'll taste corn heavy bourbons at the first stop, very traditional recipes where 75% or more of the mash bill is corn. Uh, the second stop, we see what happens to that flavor when you start really ramping up the rye content in the bourbon. Yeah. And then finally, we, we look at some weeders at the, at the last stop. Uh, and usually we have a surprise at the end, whether it's a vintage pour or something that's aged a little bit more. But the, 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 I guess the takeaway we want to give people on our tours is that um, you can take bourbon that you might not look at as like this McKenna is a perfect example. This mm-hmm. is a, a $30 bottle and we haven't cracked it yet, but this is something that a lot of people might overlook on the shelves, maybe not as much now since it won a big award out in California, but this stands up to a lot of the stuff that people are camping out in liquor store parking lots for. <laughs> yeah. And if you taste it in context with other bourbons that have a similar recipe at a similar age, you can really start to pick out those nuances and figure out what you like because yeah. everybody's going to like something different. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I took away because I think it was last year you came to our office and kind of gave a, a bourbon tasting. That was my first time actually sitting down and, and trying. I, I liked tasting bourbons, but really the only thing I could tell was one burned a little bit less than the other. Yeah, yeah. So when I sat down with you you guys and actually tried, you know, wheat, bourbon, and corn, and, and, then, and then a rye, I actually was like, oh, okay, there actually is a significant difference to the taste. And that, that was like one of the first times I really... I really experienced that. So. And what a lot of our listeners might not be aware of is we conduct a lot of bourbon tastings here at the office mm-hmm. for various clients and partners. And we needed some folks that, you know, kind of had their act together when it came to bourbon uh, to come and teach us yeah. how to properly execute a tasting for our clients and our partners. And Sour Mash Tours came in and they basically instructed our entire sales team. They gave us a lesson in bourbon. Mm-hmm. And they told us some tips and tricks as to how to properly organize a bourbon tasting 
to make sure that you, one, you don't really overwhelm somebody's palate at first, you know, and there's a lot of technique that's involved there. And there's a lot of stories that you can tell around multiple bottles in sequence. And we really appreciated that time that you guys were able to share with us. Uh, I don't know if that was your first foray into corporate tastings or dealing with, you know, corporate team building events or anything like that, but I thought that was a hell of a product and we had a great time. I appreciate that. And I, I think that the key is if you're putting together a bourbon tasting and there's all kinds of different ways to do it, but don't just pick uh, three things that you like. I mean, that that's that's fine. And the person that you're showing the, the products might think that that's a great experience, but I think it takes it up a notch if you can have a common thread or tell a story mm -hmm. with the three, whether it's all bottled in bond, all the same proof, but different mash bills, just a little, little bit extra to, to compare and contrast different products, I think, is key. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool of you guys because you took just kind of basic bottles that I had already known. I think you took an old Forester, and I think there was a Woodford in there at one point, and then there was an Angel's Envy Rye. I think that was how it went, but it was just, it, when, I, when I look at bourbon, I was kind of like, oh, I know that brand. Why are we tasting that? But then when you actually start to study it and you learn, oh, there is there's a story behind it. And that's really cool. I don't, I don't think a lot of people, I think that's why people are really into bourbon. I think they like the story behind a barrel. And I think that's why it's really blown up. Absolutely. And it goes on with just a lot of other trends, I think in our society, whether it's craft cocktails or farm to table food, mm -hmm. people are just a lot more interested in the, the craft and the process of what yeah. they're consuming. And, and bourbon is absolutely perfect for that. If there's this mystique around the aging process and this mm -hmm. old fashioned uh, type of a, a, a process that goes from the, the still to the barrel to the bottle. And it fits really well and with a lot of other things that are popular right now. And we've seen bourbon just explode in popularity in the past seven or eight years. Yeah. So that explosion of popularity, is that kind of what set you off to start Sour Mash Tours? Yeah, to some degree. I, I got into bourbon. I mean, I've, I've liked bourbon ever since I was able to drink, um, whether it's mixing it 21 with, years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 21 years old. Um, but, you know, you yeah, start, you, you might mix, uh, have a, a beaming Coke you know, at the Granville or something like that. And then, oh, good like, times oh, at the Granville. I like the taste of this. Maybe I'll try it on the rocks. And then next thing you know, you're you're sampling these neat bourbons and, and really going out to liquor stores and trying to find mm -hmm. new things. And suddenly you're neck deep in it. And that that's kind of the story. I, I think that's the path a lot of people take becoming a bourbon enthusiast and mine was no different um but I've, I've always just been very fascinated by it and curious about it and just have learned as much as i can i guess about bourbon um and this idea came my wife danielle and i who's also a business partner in sour mash tours uh, we were on vacation we were in denver and we did a walking brewery tour okay um so we're going around a neighborhood in denver and going into all these places and a couple of stops in, it occurs to me, we're not even going to see a brewer here. Mm -hmm. All we're doing, we're going into these local brew pubs and these local establishments, and we're trying Colorado beers and stuff that's made nearby. We've talked a lot about how to make beer, but we're not taking a brewery tour. So, you know, this light bulb kept going off in my head. Why don't we have anything like this in Louisville? Um, you mm. know, people come and they go and they see the distilleries, and that's an experience that we're not trying to replace by any stretch. But in the end, you go to a distillery and you're looking forward to that taste at the end, right? And we wanted to create a product that focused on the tasting and really drilled down into not just one distillery's products, but products across a number of different distilleries 
and um, it just really showcased that that tasting portion, which I think is everybody's favorite, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm not, out of, sure. not out of line there, right? Mm-hmm. No, not in the slightest. I mean, there's I have a finite shelf life to being able to walk through any facility. If you take, <laughs> if you take, that might more be the than, most Stadler thing that's ever been said. <laughs> <laughs> if you take more than ten or fifteen minutes to walk me through your facility, I have lost interest. Show me some highlights. I'll observe what I need to observe, and I'm going to move on with my life, and I'm going to live inside my own head for the next X amount of time until you're done. But it, you're right. That's exactly what I'm looking for at the end of it. When I go on the Woodford Reserve Tour, you know, I'm, I want to I taste some hooch. And, you know, what I like about what you guys do over at Sour Mash Tours is, well, first and foremost, I don't have to drive 45 minutes to get anywhere I'm going. That's a good point. Um, I get exposed to a lot of different locations downtown, but like you said, um, it, it's, it's about tasting and analyzing the different flavor profiles. And what I like is when, is when people humanize the process. And I think that is, that is something that is really lost on a lot of people that, you know, delve down into a topic like this and they talk about bourbon and they talk about it on such a granular level that most people can't relate. I mean, you're not a dude that's coming up in here looking like a 65-year-old college professor with a feather in his cap talking <laughs> existentially about bourbon as you're twisting your facial hair around. So, you know, you're a guy that comes up in here and says, I like bourbon, I like rye whiskey, here's why I like it, and here's some cool things you might not have known about it beforehand. Um, And I really appreciated that. And that's what you get uh, through those Sour Mash tours, um, or I found that you get in those Sour Mash Mm -hmm. tours. Plus, you know, I'm not a guy that gets out a lot at night. So (laughs) you took me to all these new bars that, man, I ain't been out in... How old's DT? Two and a half years old. Um, I ain't been out in two and a half years, so uh, you know it's, it's something that's um, that's interesting. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, whether it's bourbon or wine or beer, there's an element of like uh, kind of hoity-toity elitism, I think, that can, yeah, yeah, can really sure. get into it. But shit, we're having fun. We're drinking. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? This there, there's a great craft that goes into this, and that certainly deserves a lot of respect. But in the end, you know, we're getting fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Ain't nothing and wrong I, with that. And I felt it after the the tour here at the office. So, <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about like the the business side of Sour Mash Tours because what I thought was super cool is I didn't know that you had a day job oh, and yeah. that Sour Mash was kind of a side gig for you. Yeah, so uh, Sour Mash right now our main team it's me, my wife Danielle, and our third partner is Dylan Miles who's been a great friend of mine for a long time. Dylan, um, we brought him on board because he's incredibly personable. He's very into bourbon. He also used to give tours at Jim Beam oh, cool. and also gave tours at L's campus. So he's, he's an experienced tour guide and, and just a great asset to our team. Um, but, yeah, we all have day jobs. So mm-hmm. this is very much a side gig for us right now. Um, so it's, uh, it's challenging. I mean, we've given up a lot of weekends, a lot of evenings, oh, a, lot of, a lot of free time uh, pouring into Sour Mash tours. And it's something that we enjoy doing or we wouldn't do it right now. How, how do you balance that with your – so are, is Sour Mash only on the weekends or how do you kind of – structure that. so our, our primary offering is weekend focus okay. um but we do special events during the week if we have a group that's in town and wants to do a happy hour or something like that or a guided tasting on a thursday or friday or night or even a monday or tuesday you know we don't discriminate as long as we're free 
um, will accommodate that. Cool. So I'm, I'm lucky enough, and, and so is Danielle, that we, we work in situations where we're, we're trusted by our bosses and we get a, yeah. a good amount of flexibility. So that, that helps for sure. If I was in a job where I was punching the clock and had my nose to the grindstone for eight hours or 10 hours every single day, it might not be possible mm-hmm. to, to do both. But luckily I'm in a situation where I can strike a good balance. Well, talk to us about that process. I mean, you, you mentioned you and Danielle were in Denver and you had the idea that kind of birthed in the back of your mind. Walk me through that timeline and that process from you know the birth of an idea to getting it onto paper and then to finally putting a plan in place and implementing that concept. So, you know, and you and I have known each other for a long time, and how many times were we sitting around, uh, you know, Bent Creek or (laughs) the compound or something, and we come up with this business idea, and we even, you know, put pen to paper and start running some traps, and it fizzles out, right? Uh, This is one that, you know, kind of fits and starts. I'd be real gung-ho about it for a few weeks or a month, and then it would fall off for a month. And finally, I said to myself, I'm going to be pissed off if I see somebody else doing walking, facing tours, because it's inevitable. It's going to happen. If I don't do it, somebody else will. And, you know, once I got Danielle, Danielle was with me the whole time. But once we got Dylan involved, that made it real. And we started having regular meetings. We decided, like, you know, we think we have something here. We invited some friends over to come do a test tasting, kind of got their feedback after it. They said, you guys are pretty good at this. I think you've, you've got something. So we kept pushing forward. Next thing you know, I'm scheduling a meeting with uh, Ryan Rogers, the owner of uh, Feast and Royals and Barvetti. Uh, he's a friend of ours and kind of vetting the idea through him. He thought it was a great idea. Feast became our first partner. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, we reached out to the, the guys that run Galaxy and Rye, uh, got them on board. And then we got uh, Ken Blackthorne at Taj to sign up. So at that point, we had our three stops. We reached critical mass, so it's like, let's do it. We did a friends and family tour, and uh, the rest is we've been going ever since, you know. So in the beginning, you've kind of bootstrapped a little bit, so instead of, like, paying certain locations to get in, you've, you've made these strategic partnerships. Right. Is there any other type of bootstrapping you've done or roadblocks you've run into to where, you know, you thought you might have to give it up and then you got through it? Well, I mean, for me, it's like you're, you're – really excited at the beginning and we bring our friends over we do these test tastings and everybody's super receptive we get these businesses on board and they're excited about it so i'm like shit as soon as we put this out there we're going to start selling these things out right (laughs) um it didn't quite go like that and i think that that initial part where we're begging people to come on our tours at the beginning and trying to get friends and family to come on to fill tours if we have a couple of strangers that signed up, et cetera. Uh, that's humbling for sure because, you know, we think we've got this great product and we've got nothing but great feedback ever since. But once when those dollars aren't flowing in right away, it can be a little bit humbling, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. We talked a little bit about you getting it onto paper. Talked to, about, you know, how you implement it into, you know, actionable business. When you had those first humbling experiences where you know you only had a handful of folks at a at a tour or two, how did you continue to get the word out? What kind of machine do you put behind this to allow people to know you exist? So I guess part of what's inherent in our business is it is all of our side gigs. We're very bare bones. Mm-hmm. I mean, our marketing budget is is next to nothing. So 
we relied on a lot of social media, just kind of word of mouth. Um, my wife, Danielle, she works at Forest Giant here mm-hmm. in town, which is one of the best design and development firms out there. So we have great friends that are very talented designers, developers. They helped us out with uh, SEO and with design, our logo, et cetera. Um, so that helped a lot. And we partnered with the local convention and visitors bureau. We partnered with a lot of other kind of uh, local business groups as well. And just anything we can do to get the word out. Uh, we got lucky to make friends with a tr- food and travel writer, um, Dana oh, McMahon. Awesome. So she was wow. pretty instru- instrumental in helping get the word out. She wrote a couple of articles for us. She got us in Delta Sky magazine. So we've seen a couple of uh, tourist books from that. Yeah, I mean that was like uh, when I was on a a flight and I looked and I saw us uh, on in the Sky Mag. (laughs) That's awesome. Like how many people actually (laughs) look at those Sky Mags? But they're in front of like so many people, and we've definitely had some random groups that booked. And I asked how they heard about us, and they're like, "Oh, we read about you in Sky Mag." So (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) On their really? flight into Derby, probably. Yeah, or anywhere. It, yeah, it was the national. Cool. It was in the Louisville. Got a uh, a whole spread. So oh, there okay. was a whole section about Louisville, and we we had a little section up at the top that basically said, "Oh, you don't have time to go to all the distilleries. These guys will distill that process <laughs> down cool. into a, a a short time." So. Yeah, that, that was great, but really anything we can do to, to get the word out for on the cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's been our, our mantra so far, and we've had a good amount of success doing that. It's just, uh, it, it's it's been fun, and it's been good to see where it goes. Yeah. Well, you know an owner of a digital advertising company, so I you do. might be able to get, get some discounts. <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, and uh, I kind of want to get your take on this, but um, so... I guess when when was the big bourbon explosion? Probably what 2010, 10, I think. Is, maybe 2011, 2012 is when it, I, I considered it hit fever pitch, 12, 13 ish. My first hint that bourbon was blowing up was probably 2010. I was in Chicago. It's just a kind of not a hole in the wall, but just a, a corner restaurant, a burger joint. And they had a bar there, and I looked up, and normally you'd go out of town, and the bourbon on the shelf would be, you know, Maker's Mark, Jim Beam maybe bullet or something mm-hmm. like that. And I noticed that they had like 10 different bourbons. It's just this this random restaurant in Chicago. And that's when I was like, okay, this isn't just a Louisville thing. Yeah. This is something that's that's really kind of getting out off. there and starting to take off on a nationwide basis. And now you go to Chicago and there's bars dedicated to just to bourbon and New York has the same. So all these big cities are really catching on uh, internationally. I just got back from Europe and there's a, a good amount of uh, bourbon enthusiasm oh, over wow. there too. So yeah, it's, uh, it's quite the trend, but I think 2010, 2011 is when I noticed it really taking off and, and turning into something that it wasn't before. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting you say that because my point in asking you was I started just very recently noticing kind of a trend in the tequila market. And I don't know if you have any thoughts if something similar might be shaking up with tequila or if I'm just dumb. So I think there's <laughs> there's a lot of similarities there between bourbon and tequila, especially if you start looking at some of the aged tequila products. And any anything, I think, that has that craft behind it that, that people can drink uh, neat and really appreciate, I think is going to see a, a resurgence in popularity right now. And you mentioned before we started recording that you thought there, there's several celebrities that yeah. continue to come out with tequila brands. Well, yeah, I was at the, the Barnstable Brown guy. <laughs> And 
Richie. <laughs> I was working. I mean, you try to find a way to drop that in. Let me get a dollar. I, know, I, had, to, I had to fit it in, but I was working. Let me I was get taking a dollar, photos. Anyway, Richie Sambora was there, and he, the whole time, he was actually had a bottle of his tequila brand, and he kept talk, walking around, and he was shooting photos with his tequila, and then there was another celebrity. So that's kind of when I was like, this is, this is interesting, this tequila thing. Yeah, and I think that uh, what's the the Cabo Wabo who who does no, that? it's Cosamigos. Well, Cabo Wabo was uh, it, another another Musician. '80s rock star, um, Sammy Hagar. Yeah, right. Um, so that was kind of an older and one. And yeah, Sammy Hagar, um, that was who the, the, the shark does. guy. What, who's the guy that Dylan goes to see all the time? Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> Dylan's favorite artist. Um, doesn't he have a tequila brand as well? I think well? he's got like a, a bottled margarita brand. So oh, there's tequila margarita brand. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the margarita we'll have bill. Dylan talk to us about that. Yeah, Dylan will talk all about Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> what, what about old George Clooney? What, didn't he sell a uh, tequila yeah, brand? For that's like the Casamigos, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So tequila is definitely, and, and vodka too. Like, you know, P. Diddy had that, uh, that vodka Ciroc. line. And I think, did 50 Cent have a vodka line too? I'm I don't sure know about, did. but DJ Khaled had, and he had one too. So DJ I, guys. So I guess the before your time. Sorry. The, the barrier to entry <laughs> to start a new tequila distillery or a vodka distillery, and chances are they're buying this product from somewhere else mm-hmm. and putting it under their own brand, uh, is a lot lower than bourbon because there's not the aging requirements and things like that. You can age it in Gave t- or a um, añejo tequila, right? Uh, I don't think that they're they're not expected to have like a, a five to ten year type. Yeah, of Yeah, I think I've got an añejo at the house right now that's got like an eleven month age. Right. In an oak barrel, I mean that's an easy product. So to it's a lot out. quicker to to start and get your capital out there and get a product to the marketplace. Whereas bourbon, you've got all these smaller distilleries that struggle for a while. They're either sourcing yeah. product and uh, bottling it under their brand. Or just uh, maybe putting out some gin, some vodka in the meantime. Well, yeah, and that's kind of how Rabbit Hole made it for a little bit, right? They were selling vodka and gin. Yeah, the and they still well. Rabbit Hole's got a terrific gin. Dude, their gin is yeah, their gin awesome. is good. Yeah, we've yeah. got a couple of bottles of it upstairs at the bar. But they man. actually, and they'll tell you this on the tour that that gin is they, they buy it from London. Oh, they, really? They bring it over and they age it in their rye barrels, so that gives it like that yellow color. But it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. I'm sorry, like tours, been, everyone. Yeah. I've been living a lie. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> so by day, you predict energy and how it's going to do. Yeah. We can't have a bourbon expert in here without you predicting, you know, what's bourbon going to do in the future? So as somebody that has been interested in, in buying bourbon for a while and used to be able to go and, and find some of the more sought-after stuff, and as, if you hustled a little bit, you can find it on the shelf. Now, if you're not willing to sleep in a liquor store parking lot, which most times I'm not, um, it's, <laughs> you, you really can't get any of this allocated stuff. And for a long time, I've been looking for signs of, like, the, the peak, you know, is the, is the bubble about to burst and is, is something else going to become popular? And we haven't seen it. And I don't know that we're going to see it anytime soon. You're seeing so much investment in this city and so much investment into tourism, new hotels popping up everywhere. You've got construction Shoot, yeah. here right next door on a boutique hotel. The Omni mm-hmm. just opened. Um, and, and these are major capital decisions that are very well thought out. And I don't think that you'd see that type of investment coming into our city if a lot of people with a lot of money didn't see bourbon with further to grow. I was reading an article in Popular Mechanics. It might have been a year, two years ago. And yes, I, I, I tend to read on occasion. And he I read things nerd. more advanced than the fun. <laughs> nerd. Uh, <laughs> nerds. 
But Popular Mechanics wrote an article about the bourbon industry and how there was such a supply shortage in relation to the demand. And they were talking about the infrastructure requirements needed to, you know, grow these aging facility to a fashion that you know, allowed them to produce enough supply over the course of years to come that would satiate the demand that existed out there in the industry. And they estimated that, I want to say it was like 10 to 15 years out before we had a supply that could catch up with where demand is right now. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a hell of a curve uh, to be able to follow after. And I mean, I think that can give us some type of indication as to when this might peak out. But I, I think long story short is, it ain't in the short run. <laughs> I don't think so either. But bourbon's a it's kind of a weird study in economics because you know, you see this big spike in popularity and there's really no way to increase production of Henry McKenna ten year right now. They had they would have had to have, <laughs> yeah. have foresee this ten years ago. So you've got all these distilleries that are trying to project what's gonna happen in 10, 15, 20 years or or further even. I think that their capital uh, plans go out a lot further than that. And maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. I mean, we could look up in 10 years and we've got all this great bourbon coming out of these brand new rick houses that's been in the barrel for 12 to 15 years and nobody wants to buy it anymore. They're all chasing after tequila or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's tough to be dealing in a product, I guess, and I don't have to worry about this. I'm just telling people about it and drinking it. But to be dealing with the product that you can't respond to these market signals. And then on top of that, you've got an imbalance in supply and demand where something like Pappy Van Winkle 20 year, the retail on that is between one and $200, but people are out there willing to pay up to 1,000 to 1,500 for mm -hmm. it. So then your Buffalo <laughs> Trace or you know the Rip Van Winkle distillery, as they say on the bottle, um, and you have to decide, you know, do we want to up our MSRP and, and try to strike some sort of a balance here? You've got liquor stores faced with that decision, you know. Are they going to stick to what the distillery is recommending and what the distributor is recommending? Or are they going to try to take that, that secondary profit out of it and maybe be demonized by a group of people for jacking their prices yeah. up? So <laughs> it's, it's just kind of a, a, a weird situation right now where there's a lot more people that want these products than there are these products that exist. And it's caused a lot of, uh, a lot of fun things to happen, I guess. Yeah interesting world we live in. So, you know, you're deeply entrenched into bourbon tourism in Louisville. Kind of where do you see it evolving here over the short term? Well, I think one of the cool things that we've seen recently is this new crop of downtown distilleries, whether mm -hmm. it's Peerless, Four Roses, Rabbit Hole, Angels Envy, Copper and Kings, which does brandy and not bourbon. Um, you're seeing from the ground up, these facilities are constructed to give a good tour experience. So you can go out to Buffalo Trace and have a great experience and take a great tour, but in the end, that was built to be a, a whiskey-making factory. Yeah. And they figure out a way to retrofit a tour into that. But they've got that in mind from day one with the new, th yeah. the new distilleries that are popping up. So they streamline the process. They can bring groups in and show them efficiently the entire whiskey-making process from start to finish and then let you out in a world-class bar upstairs that has a view of downtown yeah, Louisville where you can grab a cocktail. Have you seen the Old Forester one right up there? I haven't seen the Old Forester oh one. I God. saw the, the rabbit, rabbit hole, hole bar. The rabbit oh hole. Is unbelievable. It is beautiful. They had a derby party there. 
I saw pic. It was man. Why don't you? Um, why don't you do another plug about how you go to all these I fancy go. parties? I saw pictures. <laughs> I saw pictures, but there is. It was awesome. What it kind of fancy so stuff cool. did you do last week? And you see, hang out with any supermodels? Uh, P Diddy. It was you know, it was one of those things. But, uh, no, 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 no. They had, they they had pictures. It was so. So cool. That facility is so nice. It's yeah, got it's a really got a great nice. view of downtown and they partnered with a bar in New York City called Death and Company, which was like one of the original like revival speakeasies and where they really put a lot of thought into making their drinks and Death and Company starting to expand and uh, the bar overlook at Rabbit Hole is one of their first expansion mm-hmm. projects and they're doing some really cool things up there with the Rabbit Hole products. Oh yeah. Yeah. And drinks are on point. Well, Andy, how do people get a hold of you if they're trying to get a Sour Mash Tour? Oh, man, all kinds of different ways. Um, you can look us up online at www.sourmashtours.com. Email at info at sourmashtours.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, so all of these different social media platforms. Uh, we've got a podcast. So, you do, yeah. You do yeah, have a podcast. Cross-promotion So here. every couple of weeks, uh, Danielle, Dylan, and I get together and uh, spin about bourbon and uh, really whatever else is on our mind. We talk a lot about things going on around Louisville and just a lot of other nonsense. We have a good time on our podcast. It's not just uh, deep into the weeds bourbon stuff. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. and um, if you ever need to get in touch with Andy, his cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that's something that's funny because, you know, we needed a, a phone number to put for Sour Mash Tours, and it is my cell phone number. So I'll get you these... need to get a Google Voice yeah, number, I know. bro. We're, 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 we're working on that right now and because I'll get a call, and it's a number I don't know, and normally I would ignore it, but I've got to answer it because it could be somebody calling about a tour, and about you know, 30 to 40% of that's the time hilarious. it is. So. That's hilarious. Well, cool. Uh, man, uh, Andy, Andy, thank you so much for coming by today thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your time with us i know you just got back into town um but uh we really appreciate all of our tens of listeners uh, <laughs> who felt like joining us on this friday um we got yeah, uh, we got jude thompson coming in next week from yeah. delta dental and jude thompson so jude's gonna be talking about everything from dentistry to business no i don't really know we got it's gonna talk about questions. what drinking bourbon does to your dental health <laughs> yeah there you go there you go all right awesome guys thank you so much for listening we will see you here next friday with jude thompson on the eltoro.com podcast you've been listening to the el toro podcast brought to you by eltoro.com the only one-to-one 100 cookie-free ip targeting solution Mmm, buttery.